Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ham, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios in Morristown, New Jersey. It's Tuesday, so we're talking real estate. We're doing multifamily projects right now. That's what we're doing today. We've got a great panel, some really interesting guys. We're going to introduce you to them and then we're going to get started. So our first panelist is in acquisitions and development at Panapinto Development in Jersey City, New Jersey, Greg Bazzani. Greg, welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Our second panelist is a principal at the Ishe Group in New York City, Eddie Ishe. Eddie, thanks for coming on, man. Of course. Thanks, Mike. Absolutely. And last but certainly not least, a good friend of mine and the co-host of the Discovering Multifamily podcast and the co-founder and managing principal of Red Knight Properties, Anthony Scandariato. Anthony, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, so I think it might be good for everybody listening if you guys kind of talk about the the way that your organization is structured around the multifamily, you know, uh, industry. Um, so maybe Anthony, we're going to start with you. You kind of talk a little bit about Red Knight, and then we'll kind of move to everybody else. So everyone kind of gets an idea of what what you guys do. Perfect. All right. Yeah. So my company's Red Knight Properties, as Mike mentioned. I've known Mike for a very long time, and we're a uh, boutique uh, multifamily and mixed use real estate sponsor uh, based on the East Coast. We specialize in uh, acquiring and repositioning value-add garden style, workforce housing, class B, C plus, um, you know, apartment communities. And we have about 260 units in our portfolio as the sole general partner, about $30 million under management and uh, based in Morristown, New Jersey as well. And we cover the tri-state region. So New Jersey, New York, and Eastern PA. So it's a little bit about my company. How about Panapinto, Greg? Sure. Um, so Panapinto Properties was founded back in the 1970s by Joe Panapinto, and we've been very active in ground up development in Jersey City and really all of Hudson County for the last 40, 45 years. Uh, our portfolio is primarily multifamily. We've got about 2,500 units in multifamily development between us and our partners. Uh, we've also done some projects in hotels. We have two hotels. The second one's opening up actually this week, which, uh, which could be interesting. Um, and we've got several other units in our, in our pipeline, primarily multifamily. Eddie, how about you, man? Yeah, so um, our group was founded in the 90s. Our first um, purchase was an office building in Bryant Park, which kind of fueled our growth. Um, initially, we are focused in New York. About a few years ago, like in 2014, we made our first investment in New Jersey. You know, and since then, um, you know, we've really liked the uh, market dynamics in Jersey. You know, see a tremendous potential for growth in certain areas. Uh, we actually just self-performed our first project. Typically, we, uh, you know, hire a GC. In Brooklyn, for example, we did a ground-up project. Um, you know, and now in Jersey City, for example, we're self-performing a, um, a conversion. It was a Packard car showroom back in the day, then was a, um, then had an office component, and now we're converting it into a multifamily residential unit. So um, it's, it's definitely been an interesting time, but, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see uh, some opportunities, and I look forward to uh, discussing it on the panel today. Definitely. So you mentioned interesting time and it is definitely an interesting time for really throughout a lot of different industries, but we're focusing on real estate. So the real estate industry as a whole, 
Um, so how are your existing portfolios performing right now? Eddie, we're going to start with you. So, I mean, are you seeing any issues with like rent payments, any, anything like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that, um, you know, I think if there was ever a time where, um, there's a magnifying glass and how important, you know, your tenants are, um, and, and who you're signing up. Um, now's the time. I think I'm saying that more from the office side of things. I know, uh, now we're, we're on multi uh, with multi, it's a little more difficult, right? Because it really depends on, you know, um, what profession, you know, each of your tenants are in and it's kind of harder to gauge, but I guess in the office space, you, you, you'll have an idea, right? At the end of the day, what the balance sheet looks like for each of your tenants and who might be you know, opportunistic and who might need the support. On the multi side, you don't have that transparency. So I think it's a little tricky for landlords to really um, decide on, on who needs the support and who doesn't. And at the end of the day, the hardest part about this is as much as there's protection for tenants right now, um, there doesn't seem to be as much for landlords with regards to um, you know mortgage payments and, and the banking side of things. So we're, we're lucky we, we've always, um, you know, we, we've never discounted the importance it is with, with our banking relationships. And, and, and we, we've always made sure, like, for example, we've never done a CMBS loan. Um, and, and I think that a lot of uh, distress, or at least the first stages are, are going to come from like special servicers and CMBS market. So I think our, our, the banks that we, we bank with have been, you know, supportive through this time, but, you know, we're, we're still at the beginning stages and, and I'm hoping, um, we see a recovery and, and um, we'll be able to bounce back. Definitely. So Anthony, I want to flip it back over to you. Um, Cause I know when we, so Anthony is a original, one of the original guests on the morning spotlight video series that we were doing on LinkedIn. I think you were like the second week. So he's like in the hall of fame. Um, so when we talked back then uh, you seemed to be pretty optimistic on like the rent collections and all that kind of stuff. And I know you said you do some workforce housing, um, and obviously there was, you know, at one point, I don't know what we're at now, but unemployment was through the roof. Um, so what kind of stuff are you seeing from your end? Yeah, no, I, it, I agree with Eddie. So from the office perspective, I used to work for a major office landlord in New Jersey and I think they had 5 million square feet or so. And I understand there's been a lot of, re, it's more of restructuring deals, um, restructuring, whether it's in like a sublet form or downsizing form. Um, Cause yeah, from the office side, it is hurting from the multifamily side, from my perspective, um, we've been pretty fortunate um, as Eddie was saying, we're in my opinion as well, um, still not out of this. So we still really don't know what the next couple of months are going to bring us really actually until the election, in my opinion. Um, but um, we've been pretty fortunate from the workforce side. Um, you know, our average collections since March when this pandemic hit, if you average it out over the last four months, they've been 97, 98%. Um, you know, I am, we, again, we only have 200, 204 units right now. We're closing on another 60. So out of those 204 units, I only know of about maybe 3% that got laid off and is, are collecting unemployment. So it hasn't been too terrible on our properties. Keep in mind, 
as you know, Greg is he's going to talk about development in Hudson County and even Eddie in Jersey City. Uh, I, I invest in completely different markets. Um, right. Generally, you know, you're talking an hour, sometimes an hour and a half outside of Midtown Manhattan, where the rent premium is a fraction. So my average apartment rent is about $1,000, you know, for one or two bedroom. So kind of, you know, look at the last recession, 08, 09. Properties were performing the same way they were this time around. But I agree with Eddie that I think we're not out of this yet. We don't know where this could go, right? Um, especially with unemployment running, you know, the extra unemployment running uh, um, no longer taking effect, uh, which, you know, is a good thing because it incentivizes people to, you know, try to go back to work. Um, but at the same time, if there's still restrictions going on, it's kind of tough. So there's right. going to be something that's going to be put into place. We're recording this in early August and this will be released in the middle. So by the time this is released, I'm sure a bill came out. Um, so I think it'll, it, our properties probably won't be affected August as of now. Um, I, I think at least 90% plus of the rent is already in. So I'll have to double check on that every day. Right. Um, and you know, I guess for us, it's more of having strict policies from the front from the get-go with our tenants. We self-manage everything. So, I mean, I'm pretty strict. I, I'm not going to lie with our tenants from the start on late payments, et cetera. Now there's a lot of restrictions, eviction moratoriums right now that are being implemented at the state and federal level. Um, tenants are, they are aware of it. Um, but if you have good tenants in there in the first place, um, they will pay, you know, they, they, they do want to pay and they're going to have to pay eventually. You right. Know, it's not a, it's not a, free ride. Um, so I think it just depends upon the market that you're investing, what type of product you're, you're in, you know, yeah. of course has been really good up until now. Right. Right. Greg, you got anything to add? Yeah, I do. I mean, similar to what Anthony said, um, I'll just talk about our signature project, uh, which is a, a large portion of our portfolio our Columbus collection, which is 1500 units, like right next to the Grove street path in Jersey city. Um, that's a class A development. Um, you know, mostly higher end tenants were charging, you know, 3000, even 4000 a month for um, two bedrooms. And it's interesting because what happened, we noticed we had a wave of tenants come to us in late March, like right after COVID hit. And they basically said, hey, I don't really know what I want to do. Uh, I can't commit to signing like a 12 or 13 month lease. But can you work with me? Can you be flexible? Like, can you give me maybe you know, can I sign up like a two month lease or a three month lease or a six month lease? And our leasing team, I have to give them a lot of credit. They did a great job of working with them, being flexible, communicating with them. And through that, they were able to retain a lot of those tenants who probably would have left if they weren't flexible. Um, and I can even speak from, first, from personal experience. I used to live in Manhattan up until the end of March and I wanted to work out something similar to that with my landlord, like, you know, maybe one month just to kind of see where the dust settled after this, um, just to give me some more time to make a decision. And my landlord was not flexible. So myself and my roommates ended up, uh, ended up moving out. So um, I think, yeah, our leasing team has definitely done a good job. We've lost a little bit, um, but we're, we were at 97% occupancy of, across 1500 units and that Columbus collection pre-COVID, we're at maybe like 94, 95% now. So, uh, you know, again, knock on wood, uh, hopefully it, it stays at that level, um, doesn't go too much below, but we've overall been pretty fortunate. Right, right. So uh, I want to get into some 
you know, pursuing new opportunities, pursuing new projects, new transactions, um, and also how the financing is going for that. So the second episode of the Morning Spotlight that we did um, was on real estate finance. Um, and we were talking about some different, you know, roadblocks and some issues and stuff that people are facing with working with the banks and all that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe, uh, I'm not sure who we're going to start with here yet, but once I finish this question, I'll figure it out. But, um, so how, how, maybe we can focus on the two of those and how those are affecting the way that you guys are doing business right now. So maybe Greg, we'll just start with you since you're fresh, you're ready to go. Yeah, no, of course. So in terms of looking for new opportunities, it's, it's definitely been more difficult. I mean, just, I think given the inherent risk in the market right now, and, and we do primarily ground up deals. So we're looking for you know, vacant land or, you know, old buildings that we're looking to either demolish or reposition in some way. Um, so just given the inherent risk in the market right now, our offers to a lot of owners are coming in, you know, 15, 20% below what they were pre-COVID. Um, so we've actually slowed down on the acquisitions in the last, you know, four or five months or so. And we've shifted our strategy a little bit towards uh, becoming what's called in, in Jersey City and in a lot of areas, at least in Hudson County, the designated redeveloper on a site. So when a city declares a block or, or a lot as an area in need of redevelopment, they'll create a redevelopment plan. And then we as the developer will submit an application to the city to become the designated redeveloper. So by doing that, we're basically, you know, saying that we're interested in developing the property at some point in the future. The city by granting us designation is saying, okay, like we're committed to you, uh, you know, at least for now to, to develop the property, but we don't need to rush it. So we've kind of shifted our strategy, at least for now, away from like acquiring and closing uh, new, new, piece, new parcels of land more towards this designation strategy, which is more for the long-term um, so hopefully by then the market will, will settle a little bit and then we'll be confident moving forward. Awesome. How about you, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Greg. Um, I'm looking at it from a different perspective, though. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we anticipate there to be more distress to come, right, once um, the forbearance period is over. And at the end of the day, typically, I mean, in distressed times, you're not looking to build new construction. You're able to go in and potentially buy things below replacement cost, existing buildings. Um, on top of it, uh, there's also that political risk, which I'm sure we'll get into. So from, uh, and on top of that, um, I think a lot of owners still have memories of what their property was worth before COVID and, you know, and before a lot of politicians kind of took the approach that they did with respect to the way they were going to treat landlords and owners um, through this process. So in my mind, um, land is worth considerably less than it was um, pre-COVID for, for all those reasons. And um, I think we're on the sidelines and, you know, are going to wait this out and see I guess how we progress from here. And in the end, if there's opportunities, we'll probably look to do, you know, rehabilitation projects coming out of this. And we're gonna be very focused on which specific counties um, we're gonna be developing in because I think you kind of have um, 
two two things going on, right? And I think it's 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 way more apparent in New York what you're seeing. You're seeing there's COVID risk, and what's even scarier for most owners and developers is the political risk. Um, and they kind of went hand in hand, and it was the perfect storm. And it's really the latter that scares me more than anything, because eventually we'll have a vaccine, but the damage, you know, has been done, and um, and, and we'll see we'll see how that shakes out. Yes, we definitely will. Um, so, Anthony, why don't you finish it up? Yeah, so I, I agree with Greg and, and Eddie. It's it's you know going to the point of being on the sidelines to to some extent is is definitely key. I know you both of, both of you guys are more in the ground up game, which is a completely there's there's, there's a lot more risk than just to be honest than buying already stabilized buildings. You know, you had that political risk, you have the development risk, you have the construction risk, uh, you have the COVID risk. Is there's a lot more. I'm not saying it's not prevalent in just general, you know, uh, workforce acquisitions because because it, it is at the same time. But there's a lot more going on with the development. Um, I would say as far as being on the sidelines, nah. I mean, we haven't been so to speak on the sidelines. We've we're, I was telling Mike before we even started. We actually have some closings in September. Um, but we've all had those deals prior to COVID and we got a substantial discount uh, for the sellers to even agree to continue to sell to us. So, and for us to, you know, want to still pursue with the transaction. So we got some pretty nice COVID discounts and we're talking about 20% uh, from pre COVID. And uh, if we put it back on the market today, it probably would get what we had tied up for before because yeah. people are still paying crazy numbers. Um, so, yeah, for taking on new acquisitions, it just has to make sense. Um, you know, at least my company's philosophy from the start was I knew something was going to happen. We didn't know it was going to be a health uh, crisis. I knew it was going to be a financial crisis. And that's why we wanted to focus on the workforce because uh, they performed the best in the recessions. And we've been seeing that at least so far. Um, so if we're going to take on a new project, it, it's going to be consistent with our investment philosophy from the start. So, um, but, you know, it's got to be, uh, got to make more more sense this time around. Um, it's got to it's got to pencil a little bit better. We we definitely adjusted underwriting to account for more vacancy, more collections. Uh, we have to account for um, turnover is going to take a little bit longer because people don't want to move now. So um, yeah, and and I think what Greg was saying too before about um, you know whenever we're looking at a new opportunity, usually the, the rents are very below market to begin with. And then when we're doing the rent raises, even during COVID, it's people get people do understand, um, and having coming to them and actually talking to the tenants on the phone and saying this is why we're doing this, blah blah blah. Would you want to stay month to month, or do you want a three month lease uh, instead of doing the full year? Um, you know, as we see where this all shakes out. So if we're going to be, um, you know, looking at new deals, you have to make a lot more sense, um, and and we have been so. Yeah, I mean, the political risk I highlighted wasn't necessarily on the construction side. I think, you know, I, I would just hate to be a landlord now because, you know, if you have some bad apples in your tenant mix, right, the courts are just going to simply be overwhelmed um, after COVID. And, and then at, at that point, if you're not in workforce housing and getting 90, you know, 90% plus uh, of, of your tenants paying rent, 
right now you're in a pretty precarious situation where uh, it's going to take six to nine months to get an eviction if you're lucky. And, and now you're, you're still on the hook with your bank. So, um, so it, it's extremely tricky, especially, um, you know, with New York, for example, articles saying that restaurants will open indoor dining by next June. Right. So probably 50% of, of restaurants in the city won't make it. And, you know, for the, for landlords that aren't necessarily, you know, massive institutions that, you know, where, where restaurants account for, for a lot of their um, NOI and revenue, that's a huge problem. Right. And now, and now go replace that tenant as he goes and tries to take advantage of the system and, and those delays. So, so when I meant political risk, I meant it from that respect. New Jersey is a lot is better than New York when it comes to that. Um, Southeast is probably the best and most landlord friendly. But but when I meant political risk, I meant it from that respect. And as a developer, I actually have a little more comfort. For example, we we're we're building two projects right now. At least I don't have to worry about that because the tenants that eventually come in, you know, I'm able to vet and there's no, not necessarily a COVID excuse at that point because everyone kind of knows where they're at in terms of their financial position and expectations. Right. Actually, I have another example on political risk and how it affects the landlord too, if I could just jump in here. You can, go for it, man. Um, and I, this is actually a hotel example, but I think it's just relevant in terms of how the municipality reacts to certain things. So we are, um, actually just opening up a hotel like either this week or next week in Jersey City. And obviously we made the decision to build it like over three years ago when COVID wasn't even a factor. Um, and now that we're opening up, you know, we got our CFO and everything. Um, it cost us $70 million to build in total. That was the full budget. And we're being assessed now uh, by the, the t municipal tax assessor at close to $90 million. And in reality, so sure, we're being assessed like at what maybe the value would be if there were 85% occupancy in the hotel. But, you know, we're just opening up in the middle of a pandemic. We're probably not going to have more than like 20 or 30% occupancy for the first several months, unfortunately. So um, what's happening is that the municipality during this pandemic has had some budget shortfalls. So they're basically trying to um, go after a lot of the large landlords and increase the, the tax the tax liabilities or, or the tax payments that the landlords can make just to fill um, shortfalls in the municipal budget. So, um, you know, that's something that's really going to hurt us because we're going to have to come out of pocket for probably one and a half to two million dollars in taxes a year on a building that we're only going to be, you know, 20, 30 percent occupied for the first um, several months on. So, um, that's an example of, you know, local political risk that is impacting us very directly. Um, and I know it's happening to a lot of other landlords as well. And I, I see where the city's coming from because, um, they're in a budget deficit now because of this, but it, it's, it, it is tough on the landlord. Yeah. I mean, especially for a hotel where your margins are already so tight, yep. you know, uh, I, I don't know the intricacies of the deal that Greg's on, but. Um, I could tell you that even at 50% occupancy, the hotel is most likely not profitable. Um, 
I'd even argue 60%. So at the end of the day, to add insult to injury for them to have to pay, um, you know, those high taxes, you're essentially forcing them into distress and into, into a, a terrible situation. And, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's going to disincentivize development in my mind. And, you know, that's why, you know, unless, unless the deal is, you know, unless it's already built, you're going to multifamily. That's why, that's why hospitality right now is just, there's such an unknown and there's no lending. Right. Same with retail. Yeah. So, I mean, to hear what Greg's going through on that building, I mean, that, that's awful. That's yeah. Fortunately, the multifamily side kind of uh, counterbalances it, but so how many, how many kids is that hotel? Uh, 211. Yeah. Yeah. Good size. Yeah. So I do want to stay, we'll stay on municipalities for a little bit longer. Um, so how has it been maybe from like uh, acquisition side, from a development side, working with some of these towns, some of these counties, different things like that. So I know from a title insurance perspective, which is what my actual job is, I don't just do this, um, you know, is uh, we had some issues obviously early on during lockdown when county offices were closed. They were only letting a certain number of people, uh, searchers into the county records offices, different things like that. Um, so what are you guys seeing from that? And maybe, you know, I, Greg, we can kind of talk about the, the Jersey City, Hudson County stuff. Um, and then, you know, Anthony and Eddie can kind of talk about where, where they're at. So I know I just gave you a really negative example from the landlord perspective, dealing with cities, but I have to say like from the development side, particularly in Hudson County, I have noticed that a lot of municipalities are now actually more open to giving out tax abatements on new development projects. And again, it, it's for that same reason, because there are municipal budget shortfalls because of this pandemic. So um, I know recently North Bergen, Guttenberg, uh, Fairview, which I believe is actually in Bergen County, but those three municipalities are offering pretty generous tax abatements on new development projects just to incentivize new developments. Um, so I think that is a, is a positive. Um, yeah, so I mean that I, maybe that'll that'll influence where we're going to be looking in terms right. of municipalities, um, but I mean that's definitely been a positive. I, I I would say that it depends on the sophistication of the municipality in terms of how they adapted to this whole pandemic. Like I have to give a ton of credit to Jersey City. Like when everything kind of went into lockdown, they transitioned really quickly to you know Zoom meetings, and uh, they had we had a ton of phone calls with them, and they basically just took everything in stride, whereas some of the smaller municipalities uh, kind of got knocked off the horse a little bit and things took a lot longer with them. So I think you're kind of seeing a mixed bag in terms of how people have reacted and adapted to, to the situation. How about you, Anthony? Um, yeah, from a municipality point, um, again, I'm not dealing with Hudson County um, or even Essex or Union. Right. Um, or even I'm, I'm just I, like, I think I'm even more curious about like the Sussex County area and that kind of stuff, because like, I mean, I'm from Sussex yeah. County, so I kind of have an idea yep. of what it's all about up there. So that's why, you know, that's why I was just curious. Let's see. From, from what you understand, what you know, it's a free for all up there. Yes. Just to be honest with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, we're I'm not doing heavy, you know, ground up construction. I'm doing some, um, you know, I'm doing some variance work right now. Um, doing some minor site plan revisions, nothing too crazy. I'm building like four apartments on an existing site that has, you know, 50 units already there. 
um, you know, what, what uh, Greg just said in terms of adaptation, the town went pretty much immediately to Zoom meetings. Uh, same with the planning board. Um, and uh, conversations have been, you know, pretty positive. Um, things are just taking a little bit longer to get done. Um, I have my hearing for on to build these units on August 18th, and I should have had it on May 18th. So everything's delayed by a few months, even with the new technology. Right. Um, so it's it's harder to it's harder to pull permits. It's 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 harder to uh, obtain um, previous records, whatever you know, whatever they may be. As you mentioned from the title side, um, it's just everything's just taking a little bit longer. Um, right. And I think people are uh, had the municipalities have somewhat of a system now to uh, yeah to to streamline the process. I mean, most of the municipalities, I think from my understanding are open in some respects. Um, so obviously that helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From our end, um, it's actually, um, been, been a real pleasure developing in Hudson County versus Essex and versus New York. I mean, in New York, we've had some, you know, we had our ground up development in Brooklyn and we, you know, we had a small, relatively small renovation in the city. And to me, over the years, I think since the de Blasio administration took over, um, the Department of Buildings has been really predatory, very evident how predatory they've been in trying to just, in my mind, extort um, developers um, to fund their budget deficits, uh, which is why we took a conscious, we made a conscious decision back in 2014 that, um, Moving forward, we want to focus on acquisitions in Jersey. Um, Essex, we, we, had, we had a project very disorganized, uh, tough to develop there. And um, Hudson County has been incredible compared to those two. And it's for that reason alone, we, we felt like we'd want to continue and to continue to, continue to grow in, in Hudson County, specifically Jersey City. Um, because, you know, if, when you have that support, especially with, with, as a developer, with all the risk that you're already taking on, um, it's really such a fine line sometimes where without that support, it kind of can break you. Um, and I think that in Jersey city, they've taken a very pro developer approach, which has helped. And I think in the long run, it's going to bode very well for Jersey city. Um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens with New York. I mean, New York just at the end of the day is New York. Right. So, right. I mean, we'll see, I think, I think politically they're doing everything wrong right now, but it's still New York. So, so we'll see if we'll, we'll see, but I, uh, I keep alluding to this, but I'm really curious to see how things shake out in the next few months. And, you know, you mentioned the acquisition question earlier. I'd rather pay a bit of a premium and and see, you know, what happens by post-election. Right, right. So, Anthony, I do want to flip it back to you because I had this. Que I was going to ask this question, but then we kind of got you know going on municipality, so I wanted to let that ride for a little bit. So, from the acquisition standpoint, so I know you syndicate a lot of your deals. Um, have you seen any resistance or any hesitation from investors at all? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on, depends on the deal and depends on the market, depends on the numbers. Um, 
you typically were looking to buy for cash flow in place. So um, a lot of, you know, investors in my group want that cash flow to be there, including myself in place um, at a, at a healthy going and yield, um, you know, relatives to some other uh, areas. Um, I mean, I'm buying a deal right now. It's a 50 unit, it's a seven cap and I'm borrowing at 3%. Um, you know, those numbers make sense. The arbitrage is there and the, 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 the rents are, you know, 20% below market. So like those are the deals that I like. Um, so there has to be cash flow there in the first place. Um, so in terms of investor pushback, it's just more, as I was saying before, it's more um, just being very, very cautious. And so if you have to sit on the sidelines and that's fine, right. but just being very, a lot more selective with the projects you want to take on um, right now. So we gotcha. don't know what's going to happen. The political risk, I agree with that. He is, you know, globally or even in the U.S. is, is, is huge, yeah. um, particularly in, in areas like New York. Uh, New Jersey is a little bit better. I agree with that. But uh, New York has, it's, you know, it's turned into, uh, turned into something not good, right. at least right, right. now. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to move into the next question. So this is more for Greg and Eddie, since you guys are doing more development projects. So have you seen pricing change on those development projects that what you would see before COVID and before quarantine and all this kind of stuff? So Greg, maybe you want to take that one first? Uh, with respect to land or, or financing? or uh, With respect to land, uh, the actual construction projects, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, we're not, we're not willing to pay what we're willing to pay in terms of land acquisition pre-COVID. I mean, we're definitely like probably 20% below what we were. And I think that's a function of a lot of things. So I mean, we can't factor in 3% rent growth in Jersey City like we were, you know, for the last 10 years. I mean, Jersey City's had amazing rent growth. I mean, now you obviously have to be cautious. Another issue is um, construction pricing. So I think with all these social distancing measures put in place on the job site, it's just taking projects longer to, to complete because everybody has to be, you know, six feet apart. Uh, only one person going an elevator at a time. So that causes uh, cost creep on, on construction jobs. So all of that. And then, and then on the rent side, yeah, it's, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're being very, very cautious. So all of that kind of factors into what we can afford to pay for the land in order to create a return for ourselves and our investors. So yeah, we're definitely off of pre-COVID pricing. On right. Yeah. Um, so pre-COVID, I think a lot of sellers were, were looking for, you know, to sell their property at five and a half stabilized cap rates, right? Five and a half, six, it was very tough to, you know, get a deal done um, at numbers that at least for my group made sense. And so, so that was, that's one issue. You, you have what I told you before, you know, that memory that a lot of owners had of, of what their land prices could have traded for, right? So I still think that more time distress needs to happen before land deals trade, uh, which is why I'm not looking yet at land. Uh, secondly, it goes back to the same point I made about buying existing property at below replacement costs, which I think is going to be possible if things head in a negative direction. So, and on top of it, you have wage, right? Wages have, have gone up. Construction materials have gone up. Uh, wages, I think will stay sticky. A lot of that is politically driven. 
Um, construction materials should, in theory, get reduced on, on some materials. I know there's tariffs in place, so that's a bit difficult to bring down. So I think for all those reasons, we're not, we're not in the market for, for any um, land and we're not looking at ground up projects at the moment. You know, we'll look at um, maybe some projects that have lease up risk, um, need some renovation, risk of light construction. Uh, or, I mean, if the right opportunity comes on, that's just incredible, maybe we'll build. But for all those reasons, we're going to be highly selective on, on projects. And, um, and I think ultimately it'll benefit us to just, uh, just wait, a, wait a little bit. Right. All right. Last question. Are you still bullish on the multifamily market? Right. So we're going to everyone just give me a short answer. Then we're going to move into our closing segment. So just in, in your, in your market where you are actually doing business. So Greg, we're going to start with you. So short term, no long term. Yes. I think okay. the next 12 to 18 months are going to be rough after that. Uh, I think it'll rebound. Anthony. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with, with Greg. So, yep. Eddie? Bullish Jersey City, um, if you have the right products. Uh, we, for example, we're finishing up construction in, in the Heights on a building that anyone looks at and assumes it's a condo because we really um, built it beautifully and duplex apartments in a market that just doesn't have that concentration yet. But we recognize that Hoboken and downtown Jersey City groups, were, uh, tenants were being priced out. And we offered, you know, large size apartments, views of Manhattan, and you still have um, Jitney that takes you to the path or, or directly into Manhattan. So I'm, I'm bullish on that project because I think during COVID people appreciate that extra space, the beautiful finishes, it may not necessarily need to be by the path. That may not be as relevant to be on top in a smaller apartment. Right. I think depending on the product and what you build, if you build it right, I'm bullish. In terms of like the crammed apartments and, 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 and tight and micro and that trend that we were seeing over the past decade, um, I'm, I'm not bullish on, on that product. Gotcha. All right, so we're gonna move the show into our closing segment called Under the Spotlight, where we're gonna ask each of you to give us one prediction for the future, all right? So Eddie, we're actually going to start with you since you're fresh again. So you're under the spotlight. What do you got for us? Um, I think we'll see for the first time in a while a move to uh, suburbs. We're already seeing it. I think if New York keeps keeps it up in terms of um, pressure, we'll start to see um, some people moving down south. And and I really hope. Um, you know, because I'm a, a New Yorker, love New York. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Everyone you know, stays, sticks around, and and uh, everyone gets our act together. Definitely. Greg, under the spotlight, man, what do you got for us? Mm. So I'm going to say that, you know, in the next couple of years, you're going to see more public-private partnerships for, develop, for large-scale development projects. And the reason why I say that is because I've noticed that um, even in the last couple months since this whole pandemic happened, a lot of uh, real estate people in the private sector who got laid off are actually looking for employment in the public sector. So municipalities, counties, 
state governments are, are you know, still, still doing okay and they're hiring those people. So with that knowledge, they're able to kind of bridge the gap with the private sector. Um, and I think you're just gonna see a lot more collaboration between the public and private sector um, across all levels of government, from like the state to the county to the local. And I think in the long term, that's really gonna help the development market. So uh, you're seeing it in other sectors. So public-private partnerships, PPPs, that's my, my bold prediction, more of it. Okay, and Anthony, last one, sure. man. Uh, similar to Eddie's, yeah, I think you're going to see more of a flock to the suburbs, um, you know, from, you know, places like New York and other gateway cities. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be down south. Um, it could just be in, you know, like I just said, suburban locations an hour outside of the work, you know, within an hour outside of their, their workplace. Uh, because, you know, I think uh, working from home is uh, that man, not mandate, but, you know, um, uh, phenomenon right now is probably going to stay in place at least short term. I don't know about long term because we really don't know the, right. you know, effects on productivity right now because it's only been a, you know, a few months. Um, so I think that's going to be more prevalent and more people are going to, you know, I just had a podcast with a guy who just moved to Puerto Rico from New York, you know, and he's okay. able to do it now. Yeah. And he's a real estate developer and he's developing in, um, you know, Idaho and he's got some properties in Pennsylvania. So uh, I think you're going to see more relocations, uh, you know, all over the place, not right. just the South, but yeah. gotcha. The way South all the way to Puerto Rico. <laughs> way, yeah. Well, yeah. that's, that is way South, but yeah, yeah they got to get their act together. Uh, right. Daddy, you're going to have a friend in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, for everybody listening, that wraps up our show. I want to thank our panelists. Couldn't have done it without you. Greg Bazzani, Anthony Scandariato, and Eddie Ishe. I'm going to put their contact information in the show notes. So if you do have questions, if you do want to reach out to them, all their contact information will be there. Um, if you have suggestions on topics, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to be a guest on The Morning Spotlight, go to themorningspotlight.com or email us at themorningspotlight at gmail.com. Uh, appreciate you guys again for doing this and everybody else. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.